Welcome everyone to Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all the topics that you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Rasha Goel, and today I am so thrilled and excited to be talking to Michelle Sugihara, the Executive Director of the Coalition of Asian Pacifics in Entertainment, or CAPE. Now, prior to joining CAPE, she was an entertainment attorney, film producer, and adjunct professor for the Claremont College's Intercollegiate Department of Asian American Studies. Michelle frequently speaks across the country on Asian representation in media and other topics, and she's also an associate member of Call Tofu, the nation's premier Asian American comedy improv and sketch group. Michelle, it is such a pleasure to have you. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I am great. And, you know, I have to tell our audiences, I, I'm really happy to talk to you because I recently met Michelle, I think just this past year, right? And uh, we, we've been getting to know each other and she's such a beautiful, beautiful human being. Michelle, I want to start off talking to you about your journey. So you were born in Honolulu, Hawaii. You are a fourth generation Japanese American. Tell us a little bit about your up- upbringing and then when you moved over to California. I always say that I was late to the diversity and inclusion party because growing up as a fourth generation Japanese American in Honolulu, Hawaii, I never thought about race really or the plight of my fellow Asian Americans on the continent. And it really wasn't until I came to Los Angeles for school that I was first introduced to it. I took my first Asian American studies course as a freshman, and that really opened up a whole new world to me. And so did you, well, I have to add one more thing there, Michelle. So I was also born in Honolulu, Hawaii. So it's so interesting. <laughs> How has this never come up in I know. Past that we knew each other? <laughs> a fun little fact. I was only there for a few years. Um, but yes, and I still have a special place for Honolulu in my heart, right? It's one of those islands that you just always have this beautiful love for. Yes, it, it will always be my home. I was very sad the day I crossed over from living in Los Angeles lo- longer than I had lived in Hawaii. Oh, I, I, I still have my 808 phone number and I will fight tooth and nail to keep it for you as do long. not you kept it for all these years all these years and so oftentimes when i call people it always throws them off like why is someone from honolulu calling me but but it's That's just awesome me. i love that you mentioned that um you really started learning more after you took your asian american studies classes here in los angeles did you know in college what route you wanted to pursue, or was that still more of a a playground for you to learn in? I think with most college students, it's a little bit of a playground. In the beginning, I went to a liberal arts college, and so really it was more of a fostering that environment of curiosity and learning. And I ended up double majoring in economics and psychology, and minoring in Asian American studies, which at the time there was no full-fledged major for Asian American studies. And I got very involved with all of the Asian organizations on campus, even co-founded a few. And then towards the end of my senior year, it was a handful of us that 
took a decades-long struggle to create an Asian American Studies department at the Claremont Colleges. And we were able to take that over the final finishing line. And they then implemented a full-fledged department the year after I left. And then to bring it back full circle, I now teach there occasionally as an adjunct professor. That's so incredible. And I love that already at the beginning of your career, you were just making massive changes. It's almost like it was kind of a stepping stone into all the different things that you were going to be doing throughout your journey. So thank you for sharing that. So from there, did you then go into law? Yes. So straight after undergrad, I went into to law school. I think law school is one of the only professional degrees or professions that you didn't need any prerequisites. So like for med school, you had to have all of those prerequisites. And then for business school, you had to have two years of work experience. Whereas law school, you just take the LSAT and go. So <laughs> and that seemed like the one of the paths of least resistance. And, and also my, my parents had really pushed for me to be a lawyer since I was, I was young and that's, that's the route I ended up going. That's so interesting because I think a lot of us that come from Asian American families, there is still that push. And I, and I feel that it still is slightly there. I think it's changing, but I know for me too, Michelle, I was supposed to be a pharmacist, a pharmacist. And so my parents really, really pushed for that. Unfortunately, I, I dropped out of the bio program very early and said I'm a communicator, but um, I can I can understand you know going through that route. So when did you know that you wanted to work in the entertainment sector? Because again, as I mentioned in the beginning, you have such a diverse background, so much experience underway. Uh, when did you know that you wanted to make a difference in the entertainment industry? I think that started pretty early on, maybe more so in college, I, I think. I know I definitely grew up a massive consumer of pop culture and television and films for sure, and never really thought about it as a viable career until I did meet some people in college who were on the film track, which I hadn't realized before, and so had some small opportunities to work on projects here and there to be on set. And then in college, I, oh, actually, if I back up a little bit, my senior year, um, yeah, in college, I ended up interning for Jerry Bruckheimer. And so like getting a little bit of tastes on that end, working mainly with the development department, which really just meant that my best friend was the copy machine. <laughs> I mean, so- <laughs> But also just my, my first taste of of the real, the business side of things, which was really interesting. And then I went to law school, ended up being more on the, the litigation side, but also here and there ended up doing some entertainment type work. We represented some studios. And then I, on the side, I also continued to freelance for my friends on films and projects. And so... That, that's really, I, I kept the door open and I think it just ultimately led me to where I am today. I love that you said you kept the door open. It, it reminds me of how important it is to build relationships, but to sustain them as well, right? Especially in this, I mean, in any industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it really was 
just those friendships and relationships. So as I went to law school, my friends went to USC film school. And so just having those relationships allowed me to have some creative fun as well as reading all the law cases. Oh, Michelle, you mentioned my rival school. I'm a UCLA Bruin. Oh, no, I went to the <laughs> I went, actually, I went to UCLA Law School and, you know, they oh, went to UCLA yeah so oh that's great so just to add to that actually when I went to school as well my last year when I was graduating and I forget the professor's name they they were starting an Asian American studies at that time uh for the UCLA group it's been years now and I wish I remembered his name but I know it was just at the very very beginning as I was graduating and I I will always remember that day because it just was so impactful since I'd never seen any type of representation for myself as a South Asian, but any Asian Americans. When we look at the nonprofit sector and your journey there, um, you know, we were talking about how you've worked for several nonprofits, but now you're with CAPE, you're the executive director there. Could you tell our audience a little bit about CAPE, what the organization does, and perhaps what your inspiration or your intention is with it? CAPE stands for the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment. We were formed in 1991 by three very senior executives at the time. And they looked around and said, there has to be more of us. And they slowly grew from there. I I believe their first meeting was in the back of a Chinese restaurant. And I mean, here we are 31 years later. I am the second long-term executive director And really, our mission is to have what we watch on our screens reflect the world in which we live and to create a better one. And the idea is really through narrative change to create a better world, because what we watch on our screens affects how we think, feel, and act, um, both towards others as well as toward ourselves. And so really, how do we make sure that the stories that are being told are authentic and accurate. The Gina Davis Institute has this statistic that 80% of all media consumed worldwide is created in the United States. And so that means that we have an incredible responsibility and opportunity to make sure that what we're putting out there, especially in this more global platforms these days is responsible because where we see the direct result of how people are being treated in real life based on the stereotypes that are being peddled on screen. And Michelle, with your work at CAPE, you know, something also that I have been taking note of and just learning is how can we have more oppie representation in entertainment? You know, when we look at five, 10, 15 years ago, where were we then? And now, where do you see us? And then I'll talk to you about where you think we're going in 10 years. I love this question because for me, it's so clear in my mind because I started at Cape in 2015, one month after Fresh Off the Boat premiered. And I don't know if you remember what it was like back then, but it's And we, we were having community screenings. I remember Jenny Yang and Phil Yu having these talkbacks afterwards and Jenny Yang coined the phrase rep sweats, basically like when we're watching the show because, you know, it had been 
over two decades since All American Girl had been on TV. And so that was the first time in so many years that we had an Asian American family on prime time on a major network. And just, I mean, to put all of that on one show's shoulders is a lot. But if I think back from then till now, it's astounding how many projects we've actually seen, both on the film side and on the TV side. And we do a lot of consulting on development, scripts on de- in development. And so I'm still seeing what's coming down the pike. And it makes me cautiously optimistic for what's to come. Oh, that's exciting. So are you seeing more scripts that are coming your way where people are, we we see diversity, where we see different groups being represented, especially in the Asian American community? Because then I asked that, Michelle, because I feel like, and and I'm going to be very, you know, just transparent here with other artists that I have talked to. Sometimes it feels like, yes, it's changed and the changes are happening, but then it feels like it's very gradual. And are there enough scripts being brought in to create those projects? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing with any type of seismic shift. Sometimes it's gradual or sometimes it's it happens hopefully quicker than, than we all hope it will. Um, I, I think maybe we are at a little bit of a tipping point now. I, I think one of the things, too, is what we're working on on CAPE is to look at the holistic picture of things and really if we want to see accurate representation it it starts on the page which is why we started with writers over 10 years ago and then six years ago we focused on the other end of the spectrum which is executives because we need these development and current executives who are the ones who greenlight projects and shepherd the stories that we ultimately end up watching on our screens and so Really, with those two cohorts, we're we're trying to build a feedback loop and a new ecosystem. So the way we're approaching it is a very strategic way. We essentially look at both ends of the spectrum, right? Like the the buyer and the seller, if you will, or the supply and the demand side. And how is it that we can create more of that environment where these kinds of stories are sought after cared for, and ultimately will make it to the screen and thrive. So the, the, three, the three pillars that we work on at CAPE, one is the pathway programs. Like how do we get our communities jobs? How do we get into the rooms? Then the second one, as I mentioned a little bit, was is our consulting. So this is where we weigh in on some of these, the scripts and on the IP. Uh, we also have the largest database of API talent working in Hollywood. So really, how do we match people with jobs? And then the third is the promotion and celebration of projects that get made, because this is still a business at the end of the day. And if no one watches a project, then that, that's really detrimental to the overall cause. And I think that's so important you mentioned that because right now, as we see what happened with Easter Sunday, 
it's such a pivotal time. I mean, I think there was so much joy on the carpet, um, being able to celebrate this film and the Filipino American community and just Asian Americans in general to have this film premiere at the TCL theater. You know, I, th- I think that's, that speaks for itself right there on the changes that we have made. Um, CAPE also offers fellowships for people as well, correct? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. We have, at the moment, three established fellowships. So one is our CAPE New Writers Fellowship, which is going into its 11th year. And we are so proud that we have alumni working on over 60 shows across every major network, cable, and streamer. So that's, that's one of our major programs is co-chaired by both a showrunner as well as an executive. So Leo Chu is a showrunner and Steve Ntao is senior vice president at the CW. And then we have our executive fellowship, which is very strategically for mid-level manager, director, CE type executives breaking into the vice president ranks. Our co-chairs are Albert Chang, who's COO of Amazon Studios, Naya Susukov, who is EVP at Walden Media, and Peter McHugh, who is a manager at the Gotham Group. And so really creating those synergies between the writers and the executives, we've seen so many success stories already just between those two cohorts. And then last year, we launched the inaugural Cape Animation Directors Accelerator, which was sponsored by Sony and Our co-chairs for that are Justinian Huang, who's at Sony. He's an executive there. And then Michelle Wong, who is a producer at Netflix. And so the concept behind our fellowships is really to look for the voids in the industry and where are the levers that we can, can push. And so with the Animation Directors Accelerator, I mean, if you look at any animation show, the credits have largely Asian American names or even Asian names at the end, but very, very few actually make it to director, to the director chair. And so that's really where we saw the need for, all right, how do we elevate this talent into the director levels? Like how do we get people into the leadership roles? So even in our Cape Leaders Fellowship, we say, all right, how do we get these manager director levels into the VP and higher roles. So really very strategic in in terms of our approach to when we start a fellowship, which constituency we target and what the curriculum looks like. Michelle, when I hear all the different things you do and the impact that you have on the Asian American community and just the changes that your work is bringing, it really excites me. I mean, I just, because I'm a person who believes that we are here to be of service. So through all this work, we are helping so many other people. I'd love to ask you on a personal level, what excites you about your job or these opportunities that you get to experience? I think one of the most exciting things is helping to launch careers and to to shepherd what the future of what we are going to be watching, what that looks like. And so one of the other programs that, that we launched last year is 
the Julia Escau Short Film Challenge for Women and Non-Binary Filmmakers. And we did that in partnership with Janet Yang Productions um, through the also the generous donation and support through Julia Escau. And what we ended up doing there is awarding four filmmakers with grants to actually make a short film. Um, one of the things that we noticed is Hollywood is still a club. It's got this club mentality, you know, and, and also largely a boys club. And so we said, all right, how do we level the playing field even further? And this was a conversation that Janet Yang had with Julia Gao and they hatched this idea. Janet then brought us in. And I mean, yesterday, I don't know, well, early in August, since I don't know when this is going to play, but Janet just was appointed president of the of Ampus, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. So she is going to lead the Oscars and that Amazing. So, I mean, this is just incredible, like just what is happening in the industry, what is happening for Asian Americans, what is happening for even Asian women. So... Uh, very excited. Uh, in particular, with, with the Julia Escau program, what we wanted to do is to lengthen that pathway. Because again, as I mentioned earlier, we're always looking for the voids and where can we make the most impact in the shortest amount of time. And what we notice is a lot of these film festivals or film competitions, it's great when you win the award, but you need to have a film to enter into those competitions. And so Ours takes it a little even further back and says, okay, here are the funds, the mentorship that you need to even make that film so that you can then start taking it out and have that be your calling card. And that's so important, Michelle, because I think for many of us, if we don't have a godfather in the industry, or even for many of us who have, you know, we come from immigrant families, we don't have parents or relatives who are in the industry. It's almost like we're walking in with nothing. We need the mentorship. We need those people to guide us or help us to find our way or at least provide some type of information. As you were talking, it was also reminding me of Asian representation in the media in general and how often the portrayal um, is of us being invisible. And even though it has gotten better in the recent years, I still feel there's that feeling that comes up often. So there's a recent article that you co-wrote with Jess Jew on why Asian American representation in media is a social justice issue and how it can greatly influence society, which I thought such an interesting concept and way and approach. Can you tell us um, a little bit more about this article and what, um, what your message was? Sure, happy to. I, one of the issues is how it directly translates from what we watch on our screens to how we behave towards each other. Um, one thing that comes up in the professional world is there was a study by Ascend and the Harvard Business Review that found that Asians were the most likely to be hired, but the least likely to be promoted. And so you think about all of the representation on screen of Asians as sidekicks, as submissive, as lacking assertiveness or charisma, which is complete BS, right? Like we, we all know Asians right. in real life who are amazingly charismatic and have tremendous leadership qualities. But when again and again, these images are what we're being fed on our screens, 
that has psychological impacts on how we are seen and treated as people in real life. And, and to take a, a more somber look at it, the flip side is just the violence against Asians. So when we are seen as caricatures or of the butt of the joke, then it becomes easier to hurt us. Um, when Asian women are overly sexualized and then we have the Atlanta spa shooting and somehow the excuse of he had a sex addiction, like that, why is that palatable, right? Like there, there's so many harmful things that can result from irresponsible representation on screen. Absolutely. And, you know, one of my qualms, Michelle, I have to add to that is even the accents the way we're portrayed too, with so many of the different subcultures in the Asian American community and how that's also portrayed on, on television and film as well. But um, thank you for sharing that because I think that is such an important study. And I highly um, request and recommend everybody who's listening to look out for that article and, and take a look at it because I think we could all learn something from it. What do you think, Michelle, that we can do to help address the root of diversity issues in television and film? I think we start by taking a really hard look at the content that we're making and are the, there are stereotypes that we're perpetuating. You know, we lead a lot of trainings for studio executives and creatives We've trained over a thousand executives and creatives at this point about what are the different stereotypes to look out for. I think in the past it has been much more blatant, whereas today it's more subtle. And so really what are the red flags to look out for? I think another issue that we need to be sensitive as well is because we're not a monolith, we also need to be more aware of the communities that we are, are highlighting, right? So maybe make sure that it's not always East Asian, so Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, but, but also are we uplifting like, the South Asian community, the Southeast Asian community, and the Pacific Islander community? You know, in America, we're the only place that links Asians and Pacific Islanders. So this moniker of AAPI that people throw around sometimes without really considering that PIs make up half of that acronym. But so many times what we'll see is AAPI, but then it'll be a panel for AAPIs and the panelists are just Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, right? And so that's something that we're also trying to encourage our own communities to be more mindful about as well. I think it comes down to education, which is what uh, you're doing over at Cape, which is so commendable. Michelle, how do you do it? I mean, I, you have so much on your plate. You you seem to be able to balance it all. But is there a particular thing you do to balance yourself between your per personal and professional work? Because it's a lot of responsibility that you're carrying. I wish I could say there was, but I am the worst at this, Russia, uh, I think one of the the dirty little secrets when you get a dream job is that 
Everything you do is part play and part work. And so, I mean, in in that vein, if I I look at whatever I do, I, I guess I would say that it it's a hundred percent fun and a hundred percent work, but somehow it makes it, it works for me. Oh, I love that. I love when we can step into a place and say we love what we do. You know, it's just a joy to show up to work every single day. Michelle, I I could sit here and keep picking your brain because I just I find you so fascinating, especially with all the different things um, that you've been involved with. But it has been such a pleasure. Again, I want to thank Michelle Sugihara for joining us here today. And to learn more about her, is is there a website or link or where would you like people to go if they want to check out your work? Yes. So the website is www.capeusa.org. And we are at Cape USA on Twitter and Instagram. Great. Thank you. And if you haven't checked out some of Cape's work, I highly encourage you to. They are doing some phenomenal things over there. And like Michelle said, too, um, there's so many different opportunities as far as getting involved or even just getting educated and learning. And also, if you have any questions for our future guests or topics, we, of course, would love to hear from you. Make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. Now, if you'd like to support our program and make a donation, you can visit us at AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you again for listening. I'm Rasha Goel. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until then, take care, everyone, and stay safe.